The views, opinions, and content of the show hosts and their guests appearing on America's Web Radio are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of the station. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back into the Doctor's Lounge. I'm your host, Dr. Hal Schurz, and each week, myself and my co-host, Dr. Scott Barber, come to you and bring you the information that you need regarding health care so that you know what's going on and you can advocate for yourself and for your family. We try to bring you that information, which is not always apparent, uh, and um, and inform you so that uh, you can make the proper decisions regarding your health care. Our show is brought to you by the Docs for Patient Care Foundation, which is the only health care think tank in the country that's run by doctors only, and the foundation stands for the principles that we've built our organization on years ago, which is the doctor-patient relationship and healthcare freedom for all Americans. Our show uh, comes to you um, thanks to the generosity of all of you out there to support the foundation. So please go to our website at wwwd 4 pcfoundation.org that's d for pcfoundation.org and contribute generously in this holiday season so that we can uh, do the work that we do uh, to uh, uh, advocate for you and help to bring you um, the uh, facts and and the uh, information on the myriad of healthcare topics that are out there before I get into the show, I want to uh, just uh, uh, basically um, respond to something that that uh, has been going on. I've missed a few shows. We've heard, you've heard the best of shows uh, in my absence the last few weeks. Some people have thought I was ill. Some people have thought that I have stepped away from the show, and that's not the case. Um, I've had some conflicts at work. It's been a very busy work season at the end of the year, um, and vacation came in there. Um, but... Um, there were some who have asked me to stop doing the show um, in response to um, some uh, pushback from uh, an article that appeared in a local Atlanta newspaper. Um, a very unfavorable article was written about myself and my co-host, Dr. Scott Barber, and um, it was an unfair article. It was based on uh, partial truths and partial facts that did not honestly um, represent or report positions that I have stated on my shows in the past. Um, it was, uh, uh, I was asked to participate in the article, which I declined because the article was really written before it was written. And, um, and it was uh, uh, the positions of the reporter who had a bias and, and an agenda um, and uh, was uh, really uninterested in uh, uh, exploring uh, the the reality of, of positions that, that I've taken or the facts. And in short, it was a slanderous article and it was, it was a hit piece. 
and it served the purpose of this reporter. He wanted to create problems for me, and it did. Um, patients left my practice as a result of that article. Um, doctors called our practice and said they would stop referring to our practice, and this was um, very unfair and very damaging, and um, and most importantly, my partners were upset. Um, they were upset with me um, as the head of my practice. They felt that I had a responsibility to my partners, to my employees, to my business, and that um, I needed to um, uh, be careful about things that I speak about in public, that as the head of the practice, um, I have given up some of the freedoms of speech that I have. Um, this, I've uh, lost my ability to be an activist because I have to be a responsible business person. And they're right. And I agree with them. Um, I, uh, I think that I do have a responsibility to my practice and to my partners and to all the almost 500 people who work for me, work with me in my practice. Um, and, uh, and sadly, we've come to a time right now in our nation's history where we've been divided into teams, into, in, into tribes. And, um, and each tribe is out to destroy the other. And we've lost the ability to speak openly and have conversations and to disagree with each other. And if you do disagree, you can't just be sent off on your way and said, agree to disagree. You have to destroy the other person on the other team. You have to damage them. You have to wipe the floor with them and crush them. And that's very dangerous and and very sad and every American should be should be outraged they should be upset they should not tolerate that there are certain subjects unfortunately that um, constitute this third rail if you touch it you'll get electrocuted and uh, and die and COVID is such a topic and um, it is emotional. We've all lost friends and family members from COVID. We're, everybody's frightened by it. Um, there, there's information that changes every day. Um, we have uh, a, a, um, a political class that nobody trusts anymore. On both sides, and um, and uh, a media that that uh, can't be trusted because they're um, they're completely um, uh, biased. The mainstream media is in the tank for one side, and so with this said, you can't really have honest debate or discussion about this topic 
this more than any other topic in my lifetime has really changed the way that we interact with each other, the way we talk with each other. And um, and so it's, it's really unfortunate because the the lack of ability to be able to have an honest conversation the the the, the fact that un, undereducated or or uninformed lay people can uh, be arbiters of what professionals, healthcare professionals, can and cannot talk about, we've reached a very, very dangerous point in our nation's history. And if we can't walk this back, if we can't stop this madness, we will cease to be able to be objective, to create to question, to to really find the best ways of doing things because there are good ideas on both sides. And the failure of, of these tribes to allow the other to speak without fear of retribution is putting us on a very dangerous path. So having said that, I'm going to be staying away from the third rail at the request of my partners, not because of pressure from any other outside source, because I do have a responsibility to my practice and to my business and to the people who depend on me for their livelihood every day. And so I I will not stray in that topic lest I start speaking about things that will ultimately uh, once again result in damage to my business. So I will um, strive to find topics that are provocative and interesting that are outside of the COVID realm. Um, It's going to be difficult because COVID has sucked all of the oxygen out of Healthcare for the last two years, and it has preoccupied everyone to the extent that we've taken our eye off the ball in so many other areas because of it. But it just means that I have to be a little bit more creative, work a little harder to bring you the kind of shows that I've done for the past seven or eight years. The um, there there are topics out there, and it's going to uh, still be a show that is provocative and edgy, and mixes politics with healthcare because unfortunately they're intertwined today. You can't you can't uh, take them apart any longer because everything that happens today. That, reg- that has anything to do with healthcare in some way, shape, or form is rooted in politics. And so 
that's that's uh, all I'm going to say on that topic, and I'm going to uh, uh, you know try to uh, do shows that that uh, are going to still um, challenge people to uh, do things and think for themselves to make their healthcare decisions um, uh, more more uh, um, uh, obvious for them the th- decisions that they need to make in life to um, to make sure that the healthcare for themselves or my listeners and their families are um, are supported and uh, protected so while everyone has been distracted with covid the Democrats are plotting the biggest expansion of government-run health care since the passage of Obamacare in 2010. It will be more than 60% more expect- expensive than the Affordable Care Act, probably way more expensive. The initial 10-year cost of the Affordable Care Act was estimated at $940 billion. If you'll remember back to these discussions of Obamacare, the magic number was keeping it under a trillion dollars, which is so unbelievable that we're even talking about that being a reasonable number. Today, people are throwing around trillions like like their pennies. But this expansion of health care by the Bernie Sanders plan and his advocates will start at $1.6 trillion. Start. None of the estimates of health care ever pan out to be what they start out to be. And sadly, much of this expansion comes from Medicare. Medicare, as you all know, is the plan that seniors depend on when they retire. And they've paid into this their entire working life with the expectation that when they do retire, when they lose their employee employer provided health care that there will be health care for them that they've paid into to the federal government the sanders proposals and that of the other democrat um uh allies greatly expands medicare and medicaid and the affordable care act to the point where the federal government would control nearly all of health care. It'll squeeze out private insurance. There will be no private insurance. And the reason is because when there are fewer and fewer people in the private insurance market, the costs go up so high that people can't afford it and the insurance companies are not going to be able to support their products and they're going to leave the market. It happened under Obamacare. More than 1,800 small insurance companies closed shop. 
some big ones like Prudential, for example, stop um, offering health care. They no longer were in the health care insurance business. <clears throat> so what happened was that the um, the when the market shrinks and there's no um, options in private insurance, <clears throat> who steps in? The federal government. Under this plan, the single-payer health care system, the government would pay for and control everything in health care. So what does that look like? Well, first of all, there'll be limited resources. The um, there's, there's not going to be enough money to cover everything. The promises of coverage are just that. The promises, and um, and there'll be fewer services. There'll be fewer providers. There'll be fewer places to administer health care. Your Medicare card will simply mean that you get a spot online. Same with Medicaid, which is even worse than Medicare. But eventually. They'll all be one. That's the that's the plan. It will the lines will blur. There'll be no more Medicare, and it will just be government health care. They'll make a distinction based on age, but it really won't matter. It won't differ too much. If the government controls everything, there'll be increased bureaucracy. Have you ever tried to get through to a government agency? If you have an insurance problem right now in private insurance, it's hard enough to get through to a person to speak with and sort out your problems with your insurance plan. I've personally been on the phone for hours trying to get through first the automated system And if you're lucky enough to get through that automated system, get to a person. And then if you do get to a person, you usually don't get to speak to the person right away. You have to leave a voicemail for that person. And then they'll get back to you. And if you miss that call, then you start all over again. And it is maddening and Really, what they're trying to do is wear you down so that you just say, the hell with it, I'm not going to even bother, and I'll suck it up. And that means either not getting the service that you need or overpaying for something that you shouldn't have had to pay for. And we all have experienced it. We all know what it's like. But imagine if the government is in charge of all of this. It will be a nightmare. And if you doubt that, look at everything that has been predicted for all of the mess that has happened in just the last 18 months of Joe Biden. Everything that he has done has been predicted. Nobody believed it, but it was all expected and predicted, whether it was shutting down the 
oil pipelines and gas prices going up, whether it was paying people not to work and having supply chain issues, whether it was pouring more money into the economy and having inflation, whether it was opening the border and having a stream of illegal aliens pouring into our country. Everything that was predicted that was denied by these Democrat politicians and by their sycophants in the mainstream media was all predicted. In healthcare, this is what is going to happen. Face the facts. Face reality. They can lie to you just like they lied about everything else that they said wouldn't happen, that is happening. The same thing is going to happen in healthcare. Access to doctors will be decreased. And healthcare will be rationed. It'll be rationed because there will be fewer resources and less money to pay doctors. It, there'll be decreased access to doctors because, number one, there'll be fewer doctors who accept government health care, even though that's going to be the only game in town eventually it will be not right away but eventually when that happens if there are no more options for people to get health care outside of the government like they have in england where you can still go to a private doctor if you have the means and hopefully that will be an option here in this country if god forbid we ever get to a single payer but there'll be fewer doctors because the best and the brightest will no longer want to be doctors. You'll still have young people who are altruists who want to take care of people, and I commend them and, and applaud them. I feel like I'm an altruist. If, if people don't believe it, half of the people that I personally take care of come from underserved communities in my city and are on Medicaid, and Medicaid pays approximately um, 40% of what commercial payers pay. So there are still altruists out there. Doctors still go into health care because they want to take care of people and money is not that important. But when you're a young person in school and you are deciding about what kind of life you want to have and you're you've got an opportunity to do very well financially doing something else other than medicine many of those very skilled very smart very capable people will not go into medicine but go into business or law or engineering or become entrepreneurs or do something other than healthcare. And when there are fewer doctors out there, what do you think that's going to mean to every individual who needs a doctor? Quite honestly, I am absolutely petrified about who is going to be available in 25 years to take care of me. Because the things have changed so much in medicine today that it's not the same as it was 25 years ago. And I think 
most people who are listening to this podcast, listening to this show, will nod their heads in agreement that things are not the same in healthcare today as they as they were. And if you think that they're going to remain the way they are now, you're sadly mistaken. And that's especially true if the government is controlling all of health care. In Canada, where a single-payer health care system has been in place for decades, patients receive fewer cancer screens than Americans do, and the mortality for certain cancers are higher. The waiting time for testing that we here in America take for granted like MRI scans, for example, can exceed two months. And the average time it would take to see certain specialists in Canada can exceed five months. For a patient with cancer, that's the difference between life and death. And if you think that that's hyperbole, if you think that that's inaccurate, just ask Sally Pipes, the president of the Pacific Research Institute, good friend of this show and a a frequent guest, whose mother died of colorectal cancer because of delayed diagnosis and delayed treatment for her colorectal cancer. Americans with private insurance today have access to 89% of the new drugs that are introduced into our society from pharmaceutical companies. Um, In some countries, though, those with a single payer, this number is dramatically lower. Take Spain or Greece, for example. Both have single payer nationalized health care systems. The patients, the, the, the population in those countries have access to just 14% of new drugs because their governments have decided that many of these new drugs, most of these new drugs, are just too expensive for their healthcare system. So they choose not to cover them. Now, people are trying right now to enact price controls over pharmaceutical companies. The Democrats are um, are talking about that in Washington right now. So, what do you think that means? If if pharmaceutical companies cannot profit because the government is controlling what they can um, charge, and believe me, I am no apologist for the pharmaceutical industry, but the the um, improved health care, the improved longevity of Americans in this country in in the last 50 years is directly the result of new drugs that have been introduced into our health care um, uh, system as a result of research and development and investment by pharmaceutical companies. And so they've got to be allowed to make a profit. But if the government won't allow them to do so in the largest market in the world, they're not going to 
invest the money that they need to create new drugs, to create um, innovation, to do what we hope and expect them to do to make our lives, our health care better. So this is this is um, this is the reality that we can we can uh, uh, ill afford to uh, to go down. I like to think about the movie "It's a Wonderful Life" at this time of year. It's a it's a great movie, one of my favorite movies. You know, it um, for those of you, and there's still some people who have not seen that movie. Surprisingly, shockingly, but if you think about that movie George um, it was uh, uh, George Bailey who was played by um, uh, oh gosh uh, by Jimmy Stewart um, he uh, he was having a, a string of some bad luck during the depression or it's actually it was after the depression it was during World War II and uh, and they have just come out of the depression. Times were hard, but they were coming out of it. And he had a string of some bad luck, and including uh, some some uh, problems with uh, um, the uh, the banker in town, Mister Potter, who wanted to who he was trying to control everything in in uh, in uh, Bedford Falls, and um, because he was just down and out, George Bailey tried to, uh, he, he was wishing that he didn't, didn't exist. And they tried to show what life would be like, as Guardian Angel did, if he didn't exist. It would be a very different world. It would be a, a world that was depraved and, and, uh, and just lacked compassion and humanity that's what we are going to get to if the government is running health care because they do not care for the well-being of our patients they are not interested in the well-being of our patients doctors are interested patients are interested in their own well-being but the government is not and I think this is time for us to break and I will finish uh, talking about how Democrats are harming the health care of Americans um, when we get back in the next segment. So please stay with us. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. Hi, I'm Dr. Mike Karuchak. Join me and my co-host, Dr. Hal Schertz, every Thursday morning at 8 a.m. and listen to The Doctor's Lounge, where you get a private insight into the conversations that doctors have amongst themselves. Join us Thursday, 8 a.m. every week. 
The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's D-O-C-S, the number four, patientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. The views, opinions, and content of the show hosts and their guests appearing on America's Web Radio are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of the station. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. You're back in the doctor's lounge. Today we are talking about how Democrat policies are actually harming the health of Americans and our health care system. And we're talking about what Democrats are trying to silently do in Washington while everybody is distracted by other issues of the day. Bernie Sanders wants to lower the Medicare eligibility age to 60. This will increase the Medicare rolls from its current uh, 61 million people to 84 million people. And the result is speeding up Medicare insolvency. Um, Medicare right now is predicted to go bankrupt by 2026, as is, unless certain um, uh, modifications are made. If you add an additional 23 million new beneficiaries, most of whom have private insurance already, it will um, result in significant benefit cuts, massive tax hikes, and increased deficit spending, spending dollars that we don't have. So adding these 23 million new enrollees will take away people from the private insurance market, which, as I stated earlier in the first half of the show, would destabilize private insurance and it would increase costs for all existing members and result in the, um, the quick um, demise of the private insurance market, resulting in the federal government swooping in and taking it over. You know, let me share a story with you. <coughs> Medicare is important. It's a good program. 60 million Americans depend on it. But it is it is far from perfect. It's got problems. I'm working. I'm eligible for Medicare right now. And I don't want to stop working because I want to retain my health care benefits that I get through my business. Because I do not want to depend on Medicare. Um, I have friends who can't see the doctors that they want to see because they don't accept Medicare. Um, Medicare is um, a program that is okay if you have just no serious problems 
But if you need an operation, a serious operation, and you want to see a doctor who is um, not taking Medicare, you might have to settle for somebody who is not your first choice of a surgeon. I, I have a friend who was the head of a major specialty organization national he was the president of a major specialty organization um and um retired went on medicare and moved he moved from one city to another and i'm purposely being vague because i trying to protect um the uh privacy of of these people but he moved from one state to another, one city to another, and his wife had a problem, not a serious problem. She was hypertensive, and she needed a a new internist to help take care of her. He could not find one doctor that he wanted who would take new Medicare patients. This is the head of one of the major medical specialties in our country who retired and went on Medicare and his wife couldn't get a doctor. He had to call in a favor of uh, his friend in this new city who had contacts with lots of doctors who would take on he and his wife. This is why I don't want to go on Medicare. I don't want to be in a position where I can't see who I want to see. And the longer I can stay off Medicare, in my opinion, the better. Um, In addition, one of the greatest things that our current system allows us to do, if your employer plan is set up for it, is to put away money tax-free into health savings accounts. And then at any point now or in the future, you can go into that account, draw out money to pay for medical expenses. And lots of people who retire use those health savings accounts dollars so that they don't have to live on their fixed income dollars or they don't have to use their fixed income dollars to pay for health care. So if you're on Medicare in the future and you have Medicare Advantage, let's say, which is the private insurance offering of Medicare, the supplemental Medicare, you can pay for that supplemental Medicare through your health savings account, tax-free and without having to have any effect on your fixed income dollars. So you can't, you, once you go on Medicare, you lose the ability to put away money into your health savings account. So just understand that millions of Americans rely on Medicare. It's important, but it is flawed and it is far from perfect and it, it is. A difficult system. Doctors are not taking Medicare because um, there is a, uh, a, a, a distinct 
disadvantage to taking Medicare because of the reimbursement by the federal government for care rendered to Medicare recipients. It is 60% of what, well, it's, it's 20 to 40% less than what commercial insurers pay. And as of this very moment, the federal government is seeking to decrease Medicare reimbursement to doctors by 9% in 2022. And so you can't blame doctors for not wanting to take Medicare if for the same amount of work they can make a considerably greater amount of money taking care of non-Medicare patients, patients on commercial insurance. This has a ripple effect throughout the system with ration care and and uh, doctors will leave Medicare or quit and stop practicing medicine, leaving a shortage of doctors. Also, what the Sanders plan calls for is adding new benefits to Medicare, dental, vision, hearing, at a cost of $370 billion over 10 years. And this will lead to higher costs in Part B premiums for seniors. That's the part that seniors pay for. And um, adding these benefits is really unnecessary because it increased costs by covering the less expensive items not already covered, like eyeglasses and hearing aids and, uh, and dentures. Um, and, uh, and so you're basically expanding the whole system for no reason at all. So the bottom line question about government-run health care is, who do you trust with your health care? Do you trust the government, or do you trust your own doctor? And I think that that's, that's really a, almost a, a rhetorical question, because you cannot trust the government with your health care. So if this isn't bad enough, if the Democrats aren't harming our health care system, and people's health care with these secret plans, these these clandestine plans that they're trying to get through without anybody paying attention to them, you um, need to look at what's happening with the immigration policies in this country or the lack of them. And they are directly and currently affecting Americans, and they're putting every American in harm's way. Not just in harm's way, but in grave danger. We are facing a potential crisis on two fronts from a public health standpoint. The unvetted refugees from Afghanistan, as a result of the inept pullout from Afghanistan and pulling Afghanis out of the country who, in so many cases, had no business being evacuated and, in the majority of the cases, were unvetted and sending them to safe havens is creating a tremendous problem, just as is the open border to our south. Um. Of the 124,000 evacuees from Afghanistan, 
This this will include people who are carrying measles, leishmaniasis, which is a parasitic disease, malaria, and wait for this, even polio. Many of these evacuees are from areas with limited health care and limited vaccinations, and they've been living now in close quarters during the evacuation in these safe havens for some time, increasing the risk of disease spread. This is information that I'm not making up. This is coming directly from the CDC. These diseases that clinicians in the United States no longer see, they don't know how to treat them because they're uncommon and they're very communicable and exceedingly dangerous. So let's go through a few of these. Measles. Um, The transfer of these Afghani refugees from safe havens has been suspended as of now. And why? Because people have not been vaccinated for measles. And so finally, now, all the evacuees in these safe havens are receiving the MMR vaccination, measles, mumps, rubella, that all school-aged children receive. And then they're being quarantined for 21 days for observation. But unfortunately, so many of these Afghanis have left these facilities. Many of them have been shipped to places unknown in the United States. As of September 20th, the CDC has been notified of 16 confirmed cases of measles and four of mumps among those evacuated from Afghanistan. These are reportable diseases. Doctors who encounter patients in the United States with these diseases are compelled, they're expected, to report these diseases to the CDC. Um, Measles is extremely contagious. 90% of the people who come into contact with an infected person with measles will become infected. That's more infective than COVID. Measles has not been endemic in the United States since 2000, but it can be and it does get brought into the United States by travelers. Afghanistan ranks seventh in the world in measles cases. But what happens, sadly, is that one to three people out of a thousand, okay, so that's 0.01% to zero to 0.03% of people with measles will die. That's far worse than the death rate expected with patients who get infected with covid So you can understand how this problem is far, far more concerning should be. Now, fortunately, most American children are vaccinated for this, but it leaves people who either are 
not immunized, like newborn babies and um, infants, or people who are under immunized or immunocompromised, it leaves them at risk for getting measles. So this can become a serious, serious public health issue that is not hypothetical, but is actual, and it's happening right now. Malaria. Let's go to that. This has disappeared from the U.S. in the early 1950s, but the insect that transmits the disease, the Anopheles mosquito, is everywhere. Travelers can carry malaria, and these mosquitoes can pick it up from infected individuals and then transmit it. That's how these diseases get transmitted. Um, The number of cases in the U.S. has risen since the 1970s to about 2,000 a year, and that corresponds with globalism and worldwide travel. The last confirmed outbreak occurred in 2003, but malaria is endemic in Afghanistan with the highest transmissions between the months of April to December. In nearly half the country where the altitude is below 2,000 to 2,500 meters. And that's, just to unpack that, in the higher altitudes, the mosquitoes don't live. It's only in the lower altitudes. But the disease is everywhere in the country. And when a few travelers have it in the United States, the transmission from person to person is low. When you're bringing in a population in the tens of thousands, if not hundred thousand, and this disease is everywhere in Afghanistan and and the majority of the people have malaria, they get bitten by mosquitoes, and the mosquitoes transmit the malaria parasite to to, um, uninfected people living in this country, and then it just snowballs. It becomes a bigger and bigger problem, and uh, this is something that... uh, is also a CDC um, warning and uh, and a uh, uh, information that is available on their website. Finally, regarding the Afghani's, is polio. Polio. Did you ever think that we would be talking about polio again? But Afghanistan is one of only two countries in the world where the wild polio virus is still endemic, according to the CDC. Since 1979, no cases have originated in the United States. That is about to change. Again, thank God there is a robust polio vaccine program in place in children, but there are still going to be 
at-risk individuals in this country who will um, will contract this, who have not yet received their polio vaccines. And if you remember what the the um, lay term for polio is, it's infantile paralysis. This was a, a scourge of this country in the 20th century. We had a president who was afflicted with polio. This was a serious, serious problem, and it took two brilliant men, um, uh, Jonas Salk and, I'm blocking on Sabin's first name, but Salk and Sabin, two brilliant doctors to um, come up with polio vaccinations that um, that uh, put this disease behind us and uh, allowed us to uh, no longer worry about it. But now um, it's going to become a worry. And, and again, not hyperbole, not made up. This is CDC information. A far greater problem, though, is Mexico. Far greater. Because now we're not talking about 120,000 evacuees. We're talking about millions of people who illegally cross our border. And some of them are returned. Many more come here and are relocated to places around the country that we don't know anything about in the dead of night and still more are not apprehended and relocated but they're getting through and they are going to the f- the four corners of our country um and and nobody knows what that number is or who they are and we're not talking about mexicans we're talking about people from central america from south america and quite honestly from all over the world with questionable health status. You heard the statistics that I presented about the diseases that are endemic, that are rampant in Afghanistan. They, there are equally serious diseases that are endemic and rampant in remote places all over the world because of poor health care and uh, lack of vaccinations that these people coming across the con- the border, the open border, the porous border, that according to um, Joe Biden is not a problem. It's closed border, but we all know that that's not true. Um, these people are coming in with questionable health status, carrying God knows what disease with them. Um the CDC, as opposed to their positions on the Afghanis, have been um, remarkably silent about this problem and about the diseases that these individuals are potentially bringing into the country. Um, diseases like TB, tuberculosis, is is endemic everywhere in Mexico and in Central America. Um, COVID, and a host of other diseases. 
um, we're we're screening our population. We are cracking down on Americans and making them uh, adhere to onerous regulations by federal, state, city governments because of the fear of COVID. Nobody is checking these illegals coming across the border for COVID or worrying about them. We're subjecting our own citizens, our own taxpayers to draconian measures that we are not imposing on people who don't belong in this country. Something is very, very wrong here. And these policies, these Democrat policies, are are going to harm us. They are going to cause our health care to be compromised in the short term and in the long term. They are potentially putting us all at risk. And this is where politics and health care merge, that the decisions that people make regarding who is responsible for our leadership, for our health care and general policies, this is, this is so vitally important at this time in our history. You know, every election is the most important election in our lifetime. How many times have we heard that? We've heard it over and over and over again. But honestly, we are on a slippery slope, and um, it's time for people to start waking up and looking at things um, through different lens than what they are um, being shown by um, people who don't care about them, um, either in politics or in the mainstream media who have agendas. And um, that's all I am going to say about uh, about the, uh, the Democrats' um, control or attempted control of the health care system and their poor policy decisions, how it's harming all Americans. So thank you for being with us today. Stay with us next week with Dr. Scott. Um, I am going to be away again in two weeks on the last vacation of the year between Christmas and New Year's. So I want to wish everybody a Merry Christmas, a happy, healthy, and safe New Year, and a better 2022. Thanks for being with us. The views, opinions, and content of the show hosts and their guests appearing on America's Web Radio are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of the station. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.